this morning. Welcome to Walloon Lake Community Church. Yeah, I like to say that, but today I really say it to myself uh, because I noticed in the local paper in the church events section uh, that today at Walloon Lake you've got a guest speaker. And it appears that I'm him, so here I am. Uh, for those of you that don't know me, I, because I do spend a lot of time in this building, but uh, usually it's not on Sunday morning, uh, I'm the campus pastor over at East Jordan Community Church, which is where I spend most Sundays. Uh, that's where Jeff is today. We switch places. And uh, just to give you a little bit of an update, uh, last week we had a fabulous Resurrection Sunday celebrating our risen Savior over in East Jordan, just like you did here. Uh, for one thing, we had uh, record attendance of over 200 people that joined us for worship last Sunday morning, and uh, that was really cool. But the highlight of the morning, uh, in addition to Jesus Christ, the star of the show, uh, was really not 200 people, it was two. Uh, two men who didn't know Jesus Christ when we started East Jordan Community Church. And on Easter Sunday, they stood up in front of the church and shared their testimony about how Jesus Christ brought new life to them in saving faith in him. And it was exciting to hear how God was working in them. It was also exciting to see those two as representatives of the literally dozens of people who are now followers of Jesus Christ, experiencing new life in him because we, Walloon Lake Community Church, were willing to go and make disciples in East Jordan. And so if you think of it, keep praying for what God's doing there. He's doing exciting stuff, and I know he's not done yet. Uh, <clears throat> the, uh, the theme of the book of Acts is exactly what East Jordan Community Church was all about. Go and make disciples. Both locations have been studying through this book since September. And we continue to watch as the earliest followers of Jesus Christ obeyed his command to go. And make disciples. Uh, they started right here in Jerusalem, down in the corner of the, of the map. Uh, that was ground zero where the early church began in Acts chapter 2. And the message continued and spread, just as Jesus said it was, onto Judea, the area around Jerusalem, and Samaria, and then ultimately to the rest of the earth, uh, making disciples of all nations, just as Jesus commanded them as they went with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It started really with Peter and the other followers of Jesus and the apostles who were willing to share the message of Jesus in Jerusalem, ground zero for the early church at where it all began. And despite opposition that came from outside the church and from inside the church, God continued to do his work against all odds. And many people came to Jesus Christ and joined what he was doing in Jerusalem. The message continued to spread with Paul as he was sent. Uh, you might remember in Acts chapter 11 as we were studying, uh, he was sent from his home church in Antioch on a missions trip. And he went to share the gospel to the rest of the earth, not just on one missions trip, uh, but then on a second one, all the way around. And then he went back from Antioch for a third time. And that's where we've been uh, just before Easter. Uh, Jeff left you off right there in Ephesus as Paul was giving his farewell address, really, uh, to the followers in Ephesus and the people he had spent many years with. If you think we've been taking a long time studying the book of Acts since September, just remember we've covered 20 years worth of early church history of God doing his work by people going and sharing the message of Jesus Christ, making disciples of all nations. Today, 
We're going to complete Paul's third missionary journey. We're going to close the gap from where we left off in Ephesus. He's going to wind up back down in Jerusalem. He's very intent to get to Jerusalem because his desire is to unite the church. There's all these believers, Jewish people, who came to accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah, their Savior, in Jerusalem. And he has gone and seen city after city, town after town, person after person, Jew and Gentile, accepting Jesus Christ as well. Many of them had no Jewish background. And he's hoping to go to Jerusalem and share the good news and and allow the church to be united, Jews and Gentiles. It's not a private club. It's not just for the Jews. Jesus is for everyone. And he wants to deliver that message and see all the people that he's ministered to on his missionary journeys embraced by the home location in Jerusalem. Unfortunately, it's not going to end with uniting the church the way he envisioned. Uh, what it's going to end with is Paul in chains. Uh, this is not only going to end his third and final missionary journey. Uh, it's not going to just end his missionary career. It's also going to end the last of his days as a free man. At the end of uh, his experience in Jerusalem that we see today, uh, Paul will never again walk in freedom. He's going to spend the rest of the book of Acts and almost surely the rest of his life in prison, in chains, in a jail cell, captive. Uh, For the next three weeks, you're going to be seeing him on trial for the next few chapters of Acts as he's defending himself for his life. Eventually, we have every reason to believe he was executed. And it all started with his journey back to Jerusalem. He had plenty of warning that this was not going to be a good visit for him, that it was not going to end well. Uh, We see in uh, Acts chapter 19 and 20, as he's continuing, following up his final leg of his journey, church after church, follower of Jesus after follower, friend after friend, church leaders, people who were connected to the Holy Spirit and sharing the message of God to him, said, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Bad stuff is waiting for you when you get there. Uh, One example of this is found in Acts chapter 20. uh, I'm sorry, verse 21, verses 11 through 15. You have a man named Agabus who's walking with the Holy Spirit, and he's compelled to share some news, some prophecy with Paul. He says in verse 11, uh, coming over to us, he took Paul's belt off of him, and he tied his own hands and feet with it. And said, the Holy Spirit says, whoever owns this belt is going to get tied up just like I am right now. When he heard this, when we heard this, this is Paul and his companions, including Luke, who's writing the book of Acts. When we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go up to Jerusalem. They didn't want to see him get locked up. They didn't want to see him get hurt. They tried to get him not to go. Then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem. For the name of Jesus Christ. He says, Luke does, when he would not be dissuaded. We tried to talk sense into the man, but he just wouldn't listen. So finally, we threw up our hands and say, the Lord's will be done. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen because we can't talk Paul out of this trip. So off he goes. He arrives in Jerusalem, and it starts out good. He meets with the church leaders, uh, the, the believers who had Jewish heritage and background and were leading this church ministry for 20 years now, since Acts chapter 2. And they meet with Paul, and Paul gives a report, a detailed report, 
of what's been going on during his missionary journeys. Hundreds, perhaps even thousands of people coming to Jesus Christ. Gentiles and Jews all across the world are now followers of Jesus because you were willing to send me out. And the leaders say, that's good news, Paul. Uh, verse 20, uh, when they heard this, they praised God. They're like, yes, yay, God, that's great stuff going on. We're so glad to hear the reports of how God is changing lives in other places. But, Paul, we got a problem. You see, Paul, uh, you know, you look around, and there's thousands of believers here that are Jewish, and they came to Jesus Christ just like you did. And they're continuing to follow and be devoted to the law of the Jewish nation. They're continuing to follow the customs and worship in the temple and do all the things that, that uh, Jews did for centuries before Jesus came on the scene. They're followers of Jesus, but they're also followers of the law. And here's the problem, Paul. Uh, word has gotten back from the places you went to visit on your missions trips. And people are telling these guys that you don't follow the law. In fact, you teach people not to follow the law. You're trying to destroy the very things that they hold dear. And surely they've heard that you're back in town, and, and this may not go well for you. And so uh, we, we've got a plan. Uh, we've got a, an, an idea that's going to help to keep you out of trouble, Paul. Here's what we want you to do. It turns out, good news for you, uh, there's four guys who are followers of Jesus but they're also devoted to the law, so much so that they're about to go through some purification rites, some, some rituals, uh, some, some customs that, that faithful Jews have done for centuries. And, and uh, they're going to go through this process, and we want you to be their sponsor. Uh, what we want you to do, Paul, is dig deep into your pockets, uh, pull out some change, some, some big bucks actually, because they're going to have some expenses during this. It's going to cost you some money, but I want you to signal to everybody else in Jerusalem, all these Jewish people, some are followers of Jesus, some are not, but they all think that you are against the Jews and the law. We want you to put your money where your mouth is and show them that you're not against them. You're on their side. We're all on the same team. We can get along, can't we? And, and he says, um, you know, it's going to cost you your hair uh, because a part of this ritual that we want you to join with these four men in and pay all their way of, uh, we're going to shave their heads and you're going to shave your head too. And so um, be ready to say goodbye to your money. Be ready to say goodbye to your hair because that's what it's going to cost you to follow our plan in order to appease these Jews and let them know that you're not out to get them. We really can get along. Unfortunately, as I already said, the plan didn't work out so well. It's not only going to cost Paul his money and his hair. Ultimately, it's going to cost Paul his freedom. This trip to Jerusalem marks the last day that he walks as a free man. And despite all of his best efforts to try to get the Jews to understand him and to, to accept him and to, to not hate him, the plan fails. And he's going to wind up arrested by the end of our story here. Uh, it all starts because for years now, and especially in these few days on his trip to and into Jerusalem, his last days as a free man, Paul is completely misunderstood by three distinct groups of people. And we're going to look at those today. Uh, the result of this misunderstanding, these people that just don't get what Paul is about at all. Uh, the results are, he gets some bad advice. He gets unfairly accused. He gets mistreated. He gets beaten up again. He gets arrested again, only this time it's for the last time. He'll never walk free again. 
to be on trial for his life over the next uh, several chapters of the book of Acts. Ultimately, we have every reason to believe he's going to be executed because of what starts today, what we look at in chapter 1 of Acts chapter, uh, Acts chapter 21 in Jerusalem. Which brings me to the question, have you ever found yourself misunderstood? You ever had somebody that didn't quite get who you are or what you're about? I thought they knew you, thought they knew something about you, but they kind of missed the boat. Uh, maybe they were way off base. Uh, maybe you've been uh, dealing with somebody who is assuming things about you, whether they're true or not. Uh, perhaps you've been uh, the victim of gossip. Uh, people are saying all kinds of things, and, and some of it's not even true, and some of it's ugly, and, and now it's getting back to you and damaging you and everything that you hold dear. Maybe you've been, in, the, in your past, the victim of prejudice. You know, people from their own past experiences and things they think they know, now they're applying it to you, whether it's fair or not. Uh, perhaps right now you're being blamed for things that you didn't do. Or you're being mistreated as a result of the misunderstandings that people have. Uh, they think they know something about you, whether it's true or not. And they're acting as though they get you when really... They've completely misunderstood you and what you're doing. We're going to learn today some uh, steps that we can take in response to those misunderstandings. However much somebody may miss their understanding of who we are, we're going to see some pointers on how to respond in the example of Paul. I invite you to stand with me as we read together in God's Word on the matter. Acts chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 27 and continue on through verse 39. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, let's read out loud together. Here we go. When the seven days were nearly over, some Jews from the province of Asia saw Paul at the temple. They stirred up the whole crowd and seized him, shouting, Fellow Israelites, help us. This is the man who teaches everyone everywhere against our people and our law in this place. And besides, he has brought Greeks into the temple and defiled this holy place. And they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the city with Paul and assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. The whole city was aroused, and the people came running from all directions. Seizing Paul, they dragged him from the temple, and immediately the gates were shut. While they were trying to kill him, news reached the commander of the Roman troops that the whole city of Jerusalem was in an uproar. He at once took some officers and soldiers and ran down to the crowd. When the rioters saw the commander and his soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. And the commander came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. Then he asked who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd shouted one thing and some another. And since the commander could not get at the truth because of the uproar, he ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. When Paul reached the steps, the violence of the mob was so great, he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, Get rid of him! As the soldiers were about to take Paul into the barracks, he asked the commander, May I say something to you? Do you speak Greek? He replied. Aren't you the Egyptian who started a revolt and led 4,000 terrorists out into the wilderness some time ago? Paul answered, I am a Jew from Tarsus in Cilicia, a city of no ordinary city. Please let me speak to the people. 
Let's speak to the Lord right now. Father God, all of us at times have been misunderstood. People assuming they know us when they've really gotten us wrong. People doing wrong things to us because of those assumptions, because of the gossip, because of the prejudice that they hold against us. Lord, we thank you that not only do you give us the example of Paul to learn from today, Lord, you hold yourself up as an example. Your own son, Jesus, who did no wrong, was completely misunderstood. He was mistreated. He was beaten. He was arrested. He was executed on a cross. And he did it all for us. We thank you for your son, Jesus, and for the salvation that he provides to any of us who choose to accept him, to believe. Lord God, we thank you for the example that you give us today of Paul. We ask that you would teach us that your Holy Spirit would be the instructor today to show us appropriate ways to respond when we're misunderstood, when we're mistreated. Lord, would you allow us not only to fill our heads with knowledge and facts, but would you fill our hearts with understanding? And would you allow us to do what you ask us to do today? Mess with our stuff. Mess with our lives, our decisions, our responses, even when we feel justified in doing things a different way. Let us reflect your son, Jesus, as we react to people who misunderstand us. Lord, we also recognize that while every one of us have been misunderstood in our lives, sometimes we're the ones who misunderstand others. Sometimes we assume things that are not true about someone else. Sometimes, Lord, we hold prejudice in our hearts and we make assumptions based on our own limited understanding and past experiences and place that on someone else who never deserves what we expect of them or how we treat them as a result. Lord God, where there's misunderstanding, where there's inappropriate assumptions that we make toward others, would you point that out to us today? Would you show us that we need to seek to understand those that you've placed within our lives? those that we live around, those that we work with, those that we go to school with and interact with in the community and through the world. Lord, as we are on the receiving end of misunderstanding, would you allow us to be a light to show what Jesus looks like even when we're misunderstood and mistreated as a result? Lord, we ask that you would do this work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and take your seats if you will. You know, it's not as though Paul didn't know what was coming uh, when he went on to Jerusalem to end his final journey. Uh, he had reason to believe because he knew from experience uh, that the Jews hated him. And almost every town that he went to visit, the first place he went was a synagogue where Jews gathered in order to tell them, you're seeking after God, Jesus has come, he is your Savior, trust in him. And in almost every town, uh, the Jews got mad and some believed uh, but some got on him. Uh, they would beat him. Uh, they would start a riot in some cities. They would arrest him in some cities. In one town, he got left for dead. They thought they killed him. They just failed. Uh, over and over, he ra had run-ins with these Jews. And the problem isn't that uh, the Jews had good reason to hate Paul. They just misunderstood him in a real big way. Uh, see, the Jews thought they understood Paul. 
Uh, they thought that Paul was the guy who hated Jewish people. He hated their customs. He hated their laws. He hated their temple, and he wanted to destroy them all. But the fact of the matter is, they missed it. He didn't want to destroy Jew- Jewishness. Uh, the fact of the matter is, he didn't hate Jews at all. He was a Jew, and he was proud of his heritage. And in fact, he taught in uh, his epistles to the churches that, that Jews even have some extra special privileges than the rest of us because they're Jewish. They're God's chosen people. The difference that Paul had with a lot of these uh, Jewish people was that he insisted and he constantly reminded Jews that all of your customs, all of your traditions, all of your religious behaviors, going to the temple and doing all of your spiritual things that you do, none of that is going to get you to God. It's not bad stuff. It's just not going to get you where you're trying to go if you're trusting in that to save you. Only Jesus Christ can save you and connect you to a relationship with God. And because of that message, the Jews misunderstood Paul, thinking that he wanted to destroy everything that they held dear. And time and time again, he ran into problems with these same guys. The fact is, he tried, in many cases, to be as accommodating as he could. As he went into Jerusalem, you remember the advice he got from the leaders, and and, and he put his money and his hair on the line, and he said, I'm going to do whatever I can. If it's possible, I'm going to be at peace with these guys. I'll do whatever I can to show them, I don't hate you. I'm not mad at you. I love you. I'm one of you. I just want you to know Jesus. And despite all of his best efforts, trying to be accommodating, going through these rituals that they held dear, walking with these four Jewish folks as they went through the temple for their purification and their sacrifices and their vows. He said, I'm going to join you in that and let everybody see that I don't hate you. But unfortunately, as much as he tried, uh, it failed. I would need you to see, though, that uh, this wasn't a compromise for Paul. Uh, He's trying to be at peace with these guys, doing everything he can to get along, but he didn't compromise. He didn't do anything that went against who he was as a follower of Jesus Christ or went against anything in Scripture. Uh, The vow that he's taking now with these four men is probably the very same one that he had made in chapter 18, verse 18 where he cut his hair after making a vow. Same thing. It was an expression of his devotion to God through Jesus Christ. He didn't set aside or compromise anything that God had to say or his commitment to Jesus in order to get along with people. But within the boundaries that God had given, he was willing to do anything in his power to be at peace with these guys who misunderstood him. We see in verse 28, it didn't work. The very same accusations that, they, that the Jews had lobbed against Stephen way back in Acts chapter 6 are now the same things that they're waging against Paul. He wants to destroy the law, he wants to destroy our traditions, and he wants to destroy the temple. I've got to imagine that Saul, or Paul at this point was remembering back in Acts 6 when he was Saul, and he was on the other side before he knew Jesus, and he thought, that Stephen was wrong for doing the very same things that he is, talking about Jesus. He was very comfortable allowing Stephen to be executed, and now he's the one that's facing the death penalty because he's misunderstood, just like he had misunderstood Stephen so many years before. And now they got one new uh, accusation, one new charge that they're bringing up here in verse 28. Um, They said he has brought Greeks, Gentiles, into the temple. 
defiling this place. And that doesn't sound like a big deal to us. Somebody that uh, isn't one of us comes into our church. That's a great thing. We go out of our way to help people come and see what God's doing here. Uh, but for the Jews, it was a little different. There was an inscription uh, carved in stone over one of the inner doorways of the temple. And this is it. Uh, archaeologists have, have uncovered a couple of them and discovered it. This is the sign that Paul would have walked under as he walked into the temple where he's now being charged for bringing Gentiles with him. And for those of you that don't know Greek, let me see if I can translate it for you. Um, yeah. No foreigner... There we go. No foreigner is to enter within the balustrade and enclose in the enclosure around the temple area. Don't go past this sign, right? Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his death, which will follow. This is serious business. If a Gentile walked past this warning sign, he was bringing upon himself the death penalty. And now here's what the Jews did. They've got a legitimate charge. But they're assuming that Paul has helped to violate it. They had seen uh, probably some of the people that were uh, hanging out in Ephesus during Paul's missionary journeys. Probably they lived there and now they're visiting during the celebration in uh, Jerusalem. Recognized Paul. They recognized Trophimus, a guy from uh, Ephesus. And now they're both in Jerusalem. And Trophimus is a part of Paul's posse out in Jerusalem, walking around the city doing their thing. And he's one of the group that's hanging out with Paul. So now when they see Paul and his posse inside the temple, they make the assumption that Trophimus is with them and Paul brought him in, defiling the temple in the process. Here's the problem. Their assumption was wrong. They assumed that that's what happened, but that's not what happened. Trophimus never went inside the temple, but Paul is being blamed for it anyway. And even if Paul did come in with Trophimus, Trophimus was the guy who was supposed to die according to the penalty, not Paul. None of that matters to these Jews. They find this accusation, they make this assumption, and they're ready to kill him as a consequence. And so we see in verse 29, uh, this assumption that they made turns into a lynch mob in verse 30. Uh, they're ready to, to get rid of the guy once and for all. Seizing Paul, they dragged him outside the temple. Why? Because he can't kill people in the temple. Interestingly enough, that doesn't keep him from beating him up in the temple and on their way out of the temple. They're beating Paul up in the process of taking him outside the city. Now, some of you who, like me, grew up in a family with a bunch of boys, uh, you may think this scene sounds familiar. Uh, they're beating Paul, right, until the commander shows up, and then they're all nice, and Mama walked in the room, and now they're going to act like they're behaving and being nice to little brother. That sounds like this, except for verse 30. Uh, they want to kill Paul. They're not just picking on him, giving him noogies, and, and giving him a hard time. They are in the process of uh, executing the death penalty on Paul. They're dragging him outside the city where you put people to death. Fortunately, the popo shows up before they get outside the city limits. And, and the, the commander of the uh, Roman army shows up just in time to save Paul's life. Otherwise, he would have been executed on the spot. It's really interesting. This guy who's a neutral party, he doesn't have a dog in this fight. The commander shows some wisdom here. He walks into a situation. He knows it's bad, but he doesn't have any idea what's going on or what's led up to this mob scene. And so what's he do? He asked. He asked questions. He's trying to figure it out. He's trying not to make the assumptions that some of the Jewish people had. He's willing and wanting to get to the truth, whatever it may be. 
problem is, verse 34, he could not get at the truth. Why? Because these people are so angry in their hatred and their assumptions and their lies and accusations about Paul that they're all yelling and shouting at the same time, many of them different things that they're saying. And there's no way that the referee can try and sort it out. Uh, so while he's trying to figure out what's going on and, and ascertain what really should be done in this situation, notice verses 35 and 36, uh, the Jewish people don't slow down. They don't stop. They're not waiting for a, a final decision. They don't want to get at the truth. And they continue to attack and trying to get rid of Paul. Verse 37, we see the second step that Paul takes in response to misunderstandings. Uh, the first one was that he did anything he could even if it cost him his money and his hair, even his freedom, to be at peace with these guys. That failed. Now he's going to be respectful, despite the misunderstandings and the mistreatment. It's amazing. In the, in the middle of this chaos, while everybody else is losing their head, there's two guys that are keeping their cool. The commander, who wants to get at the truth, and Paul, who really wants to share the truth. And Paul asks a question. He doesn't argue, he doesn't fight, he doesn't try and win over uh, the, the, the crowd or the referee to his side, because he knows arguing doesn't help. We know that too, when people are mad at us, when they have emotions that are high, uh, when, when they're misunderstanding us, to argue back doesn't solve anything, does it? But it doesn't keep us from trying that approach. Paul takes a wiser approach. He remains respectful, and with a polite question, he says, can I ask you a question? Can I talk to you for a minute? And notice he's actually asking this of the one person who's actually listening. He's looking for a solution, not a victory. Uh, verse 38, we find the second party to completely misunderstand Paul. And this time, it's a case of mistaken identity. You ever have somebody think you're somebody else? You look like somebody else? Um, you know, I used to, in high school, every once in a while, somebody would come up to me and say, you know who you look like? It was usually a high school girl. And they would say, you know, you look exactly like Tom Cruise from Top Gun. And I don't know if you see the uh, resemblance there. Fortunately, I didn't take my self-esteem uh, to rely on those few comments because a few years went by and I gained a few pounds and I lost a bit of hair. And uh, now I regularly have people come up to me and say, you know who you look like? And I said, yeah, I do. No, you look exactly like, I know, I know, George Costanza from Seinfeld, I get it. <laughs> and I don't think it's gonna get any better anytime soon. Sometimes we look a little bit like somebody else, don't we? In this case, <clears throat> the commander Claudius, he's taking every bit of knowledge that he knows or thinks he knows, every bit of his past experience, and trying to make sense out of what's going on with Paul. He does the math here. He says, okay, so I see some bald people around here now and then, and uh, completely bald people usually are either Jewish Nazarites, you know, they're the ones that are taking the law seriously, avowed, and, and they're heroes to the Jews. And they'd be applauding them, not beating them, so you must not be a Nazarite Jew. Uh, the other bald people I see around here are Egyptians. And so maybe this guy's an Egyptian. Uh, there's a riot going on. Good chance he's a troublemaker, troublemaker, Egyptian. Um, you know what? I remember uh, history tells us and confirms what we see in Acts, 19, Acts 21 here that uh, there was an Egyptian terrorist, and he led a revolt with thousands of followers, and it was violently put down by the Roman leadership and soldiers. Uh, unfortunately, the Egyptian terrorist, the leader, escaped 
And it was just a few years before this event in the temple that uh, Paul is dealing with. And so uh, Claudius is doing the math. He says, bald, troublemaker, are you that guy that escaped a few years ago, coming back to create more trouble in my town? Now notice this. You know what that's called when we take partial information and past experiences and apply it to somebody we don't even know? Prejudice. That's prejudice. And here's the thing. That's natural. Our brains are designed to take past experiences and knowledge that we already have and try and make sense out of a current situation, including relational situations. That's what he's doing. But again, he shows us some wisdom. He gives us a really important step for us to take in order to avoid misunderstandings, especially when we're the ones, based on our own prejudices and past experiences, that may be misunderstanding somebody else. What does he do? He asks. He doesn't assume, yep, you're that terrorist, let's kill him. Uh, He asks the question. He he gets to the bottom of it. He, He has a dialogue with this guy. Even though he thinks he's a terrorist that wants to destroy his country, probably kill him personally, he says, you know what? Do I have you right? Am I understanding the situation correctly, or is there something I don't yet know? If we engage in that dialogue, if we ask those questions, many times we'll overcome misunderstandings and overcome some of the stereotypes and and, uh, uh, some of the prejudice that we hold against others that we don't even know yet if we have a conversation with them. It looks like in this situation, Claudius' willingness to ask a question and find out the truth rather than assume actually overcame their uh, misunderstanding there. He recognized, no, he's not who I thought he was. He's a different guy. Unfortunately, it didn't solve the problem, the misunderstanding that Paul still had with everybody else. So verse 39, Paul respectfully asks a question of his own. He says, "Uh, Commander, will you let me speak to the people? They are misunderstanding me. Give me a chance to communicate with them. Give me a chance to share and what he says here isn't arguing. He's not fighting over the, here's my doctrine and here's yours, here's why I'm right and you're wrong. He doesn't go there at all. He has a conversation where he's respectfully and gently sharing truth. And communication means a lot of things to a lot of people. In this passage, what communication means to Paul is, I want the opportunity to respectfully and gently share the truth. I'm not going to shy away from what's true in order to get along, but at the same time, I'm not going to offend people unnecessarily. He goes out of his way again to share gently and to identify with these folks, to consider their assumptions, to to, to weigh in on their emotions and their experiences and try to speak the truth on top of that. If you want to know how do we respond when somebody misunderstands us and makes assumptions and, and, and attacks us unnecessarily, read chapter 22 of the book of Acts when you get home today. He does a great job of eloquently and gently relating to people that hate him in order to try and share the truth in a way that wouldn't be offensive. You know what he shared in Acts chapter 22? It wasn't details of doctrine and and, uh, arguing points and trying to win the debate. He shared his own personal story. He gave his testimony. He told the story uh, related to his own personal experience. He told the story of Jesus and how Jesus changed his life. He did exactly what Shirley and Henry did right here last week and what those two guys I told you about did over at East Jordan last week. He told his story. And that's one of the best things that we can do when we're interacting with people who don't understand us and don't understand Jesus. It's not arguing doctrine. It's sharing our story 
in Jesus' story and how he has changed us. Because he can't argue with personal experience. You can hate it. And unfortunately, the Jews continued to hate the very experiences that Paul is trying to share here. He tried peace, but it didn't work. And so over the next several weeks, you're going to be tracing with Jeff some of the trials, some of the uh, courtroom experiences that Paul has while he's trying to defend himself against the charges that started here in Jerusalem on this day because he was so deeply misunderstood. Here's the fifth step we need to take, though. Not only do we uh, need to uh, be at work, uh, do everything we can to be at peace with those around us. Not only do we need to be respectful when we interact with people who misunderstand us. Not only do we need to ask questions when we misunderstand others. Uh, we also need to communicate the truth gently. But number five, in no way, nowhere in this passage do we see Paul giving any indication that he's bitter at these guys who are misunderstanding him. Who hate him because of their assumptions, even though they're wrong. Who are mistreating him because of the gossip that's gone on that's completely untrue. He doesn't try and get even. He doesn't try and fight back. He doesn't appear to hate them back. He's not bitter at all. It's an awfully tough to do, isn't it? And Paul manages to do it. In fact, uh, we find out that while he's in his jail cell years later, he writes significant portions of the New Testament, including a letter to Rome, to the church in Rome. And in Romans chapter 12... Uh, we find these words in verse 17. I imagine Paul sitting in his jail cell as he's writing these words, reflecting back on the day that started all this mess, when those Jews in Jerusalem misunderstood him and refused to accept the truth about who he was. And on trumped-up charges, he got arrested. Years later, he's sitting in a jail cell, and he writes these words. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. Can you picture him sitting there thinking, you know, that's what I tried to do when I showed up in Jerusalem at the end of my missionary career. I did everything I could to do what was right in the eyes of these guys. And it didn't work. I was still misunderstood. I was still mistreated. I'm in jail years later because of it. He says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I did everything I could in my own power to get along with these guys. But it doesn't always depend on me, Paul says. Sometimes there's somebody else that no matter how hard you try, no matter how you do everything just the way that God would have you to do, are still going to misunderstand and mistreat you. That's what happened to Paul. And then he says, do not take revenge, my dear friends. That's God's job. It doesn't do anyone any good for us to become bitter to get angry, and to respond by trying to hurt somebody back when they misunderstand us and abuse us. And here's the challenge. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've got to be prepared to be misunderstood. You've got to be prepared to be mistreated. Because if you're living your life the way Jesus calls you to, if you're living by this book, you're going to be misunderstood. Jesus promises that, and Paul is one more example of it. Here's the challenge, though. There's one more step we need to take because there's one more group of people we haven't really looked at that misunderstood Paul, completely missed who he was and what he was about. And chances are this might have hurt Paul even more than these guys who hated him and wanted to kill him and wound up getting him arrested. The Christians didn't understand Paul. 
the believers, the brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, misunderstood Paul's very purpose. Uh, you remember those guys who gave him that advice? Don't go to Jerusalem. Bad stuff's going to happen to you there. Uh, the Jewish leaders that met him in Jerusalem and said, here, we got a plan. Do, if you do all this, maybe you can avoid the trouble that's coming your way. Uh, they gave that advice because they were trying to help. They didn't want to see Paul get hurt. But it was bad advice. It was based on a misunderstanding of what Paul was about. Uh, you see in chapter 20, you know, one of those accounts where he's leaving Ephesus and, and uh, he, he gets some, some words, a warning, don't go to Jerusalem. He says this, verse 21, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks, they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I'm about, sharing the message of Jesus, being a missionary. He says, I only know, or now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Now, this wasn't a whim that Paul got. This wasn't a strategy in his, his uh, missions trip. This was something that he knew God had specifically called him to do. I want you, Paul, to go to Jerusalem. God told him to do that. And now everybody else is telling him, don't go. His be believing brothers and sisters, his friends, his ministry partners are advising him against the very clear instructions of God. Why? Because they misunderstand. They don't remember or hear what he's saying. He says, I don't know what's going to happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now, I know none of you am going to, that I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. God had warned Paul. The Christians had warned Paul. Trouble's coming in Jerusalem. The Christians, his, his partners, his friends, didn't understand his motivation. Tried to talk him out of the very thing God told him to do. And when he went, the very thing that they were worried about happening, happened. As you see, they thought they understood his purpose, uh, that he wanted to be a missionary and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with anybody he could. And he'd been doing that for years very effectively. And the problem is they not only misunderstood Paul's purpose, that obeying God was more important than anybody else's opinion of it or any consequence that would come from it, they misunderstood God's purpose. They were assuming that Paul's job was to continue to be a missionary for the next few years. Hey, go out and win thousands more people to Christ. And if you go to Jerusalem, you're going to be stopped from doing that. How could they have ever known that God's real purpose was for Paul to get locked up? So that he would spend years in prison and from a jail cell write the words to half of our New Testament. Teaching for generations to come, including us, truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ inspired by the very word of God himself. He had more influence in a jail cell than he ever would have had as a missionary. They had no idea. They misunderstood God's purpose and assumed he shouldn't go to Jerusalem because it was going to interfere with the good things God was doing through him. Turns out God had an even bigger plan. Of course, Paul didn't know that either. He had no idea what was coming. What he did know was God had told him to go to Jerusalem. And no amount of counsel, no amount of misunderstanding, no amount of good friends meaning well was going to talk him out of obeying God. Here's the deal, guys. When we're misunderstood, when we're mistreated even, 
The first and most important step to take is this. Ask God, God, am I doing what you called me to do? Am I obeying you right now? Because if not, if the answer is no, there's a decent chance that some, maybe somebody else understands you better than you understand yourself. Maybe they're giving you good feedback and advice, even if they're your enemies. Maybe they're speaking something you need to hear and something you need to change in your life. But when you ask that question, God, am I doing what you told me to do? If the answer is yes, keep doing it. Keep doing it. If at all possible, be at peace with everybody around you. If, be respectful. Ask questions. Communicate the truth gently. But above all else, while you're avoiding bitterness in your heart when people misunderstand you and mistreat you, if you're doing what God has called you to do, don't quit, no matter who misunderstands it. No matter what, it may cost you. Let's look to the Lord together in prayer as we close. Our Father God, we've all been misunderstood. And sometimes we misunderstand ourselves. If there's things that we need to learn from some of the criticism, some of the feedback, some of the even mistreatment that we receive, Lord, would your Holy Spirit speak to us and show us that we're the ones that are wrong too and something needs to change? If we're making assumptions about others, acting with prejudice or with gossip or, or, or with expectations that maybe aren't even true about somebody else, where would you convict us of that? Show us where we need to treat people the way that we ourselves want to be treated rather than misunderstanding and abusing people. Lord God, most of all, when we're facing misunderstandings, would you allow us, through the power of your Spirit, because we can't do it ourselves, to respond in a Christ-like way like Paul did? Father, would you give us the courage to do whatever you ask us to do, no matter what people think about it, no matter what the consequences come by following you. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. I'm going to invite you now to stand up as we dismiss. Turn to the person next to you. Greet them. Tell them you're glad to see them in the Lord's house. Get to know them a little bit before you leave today.